Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. All right, good morning, Thrive. So glad you're here. You made it today. Well done. Pretty foggy this morning when I, when I got out. Wow, it was wild. Um, so, so glad you're here. We're continuing our series in James. And James is, uh, is, was the half-brother of Jesus who, towards the end of his life, didn't know it was towards the end of his life, he was martyred shortly after that, writes this letter to all these Christians among that region and basically, it's like his wisdom and musings for what it is to follow Jesus all the days of his life and what believers should do. So I've been enjoying it. Even if you're not, I think it's great. Well done, me. Um, so <coughs> excuse me. That is not how I feel. I mean, I do, I do like the series. But uh, um, this next one, he repeats himself about being wise and humble. Uh, so he kind of introduces it, and then he unpacks it later. So we're going to hit some things we've already hit, but a little bit deeper, uh, and I think a little more tender. Um, and, and in a few minutes, we're going to have Jen join me, because she's been leading the women's study on this uh, some, right? A little bit. And you shared, and it was so good. They were like, well, why don't you come and share so I don't have to talk so much? Well, we're going to get there. Um, but it made me think of something. So last fall, last spring... We did our first kind of mini missions trip with Thrive. Four of us went, and we went to uh, Mardi Gras and witnessed on the streets of Mardi Gras. We did not join the party. Uh, we, uh, we, we went and basically shared our faith on the streets of Mardi Gras, tried to pray with people, uh, try to share Jesus, share the gospel, witness to them, share our testimonies. It was, it was awesome. It was a great time, powerful. Uh, God moved. But um, several teams kind of converge. And then go to the streets. And so one of the teams, though, that was there was from the Bible college my wife and I went to, Christ for the Nations. And so I, uh, I, I were, they take us on a bus, like, from where we're staying all the way into the French Quarter and then back every, every day. Uh, they drop you off basically right after lunch. And then they don't pick you up till like, 11 or 12 at night. And then you're just walking the streets uh, for the rest of the day. But... Riding on the bus, you know, you think, well, I'll get to know some people. We'll have some conversations. I'm, I'm sitting with a, a Bible college student from my Bible college, and, and I, I was like, oh, hey, I went to Christ for the Nations. And literally, this is how the conversation went. I'm sitting, and I'm like, hey, I went to Christ for the Nations on the bus next to them, and uh, I went in, like, 99 is when I graduated. My wife graduated in 2000. I went to Seif and I, and he goes, Really? Anyway, and he just goes back to his conversation, has no interest in talking to me. He is just done. Like, mm-hmm, good for you, buddy. All right, well done, old man. You know, and he just is not interested in talking to me at all. And, I, and, and there was a few of those that week. And maybe it's me, maybe I'm just generally uninteresting. But we know that's not true. So... <laughs> So, so I was like, what, what in the world? And I realized, 
Because as a pastor, you do a lot of research. You do a lot of research about demographics and generations and things like that. The truth is millennials and zennials, there's a, there's a chunk. I'm not speaking to all, but there's a chunk that just are not all that interested in the lessons and the truths of the previous generations. Because I remember being that person's age, and any time I met somebody from Christ for the Nations, I was like, I just wanted, like, tell me about your time there, because it was so life transformational for me. Tell me, what, what, what were your favorite teachers? What were your favorite classes? What was the best time in the presence of God you ever had? This kid, I mean, he was a punk, and I don't know, maybe he's not even saved, but <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm relaxed, but he just did not want to hear it from me, right? Like, just, nope, couldn't care less, and I was like, what a stark difference. Matter of fact, when I was at Bible college, I ended up getting time with a few other guys. We got to spend time with our director of students, who was also alumni. In my last semester there, once a week, we would meet up with the director, just like six of us guys. We'd meet for breakfast at a Cracker Barrel, and we'd just ask him questions, and we'd just listen to his wisdom and his years. And <laughs> It's making me feel really old. He was probably then the same age that I am now, you know, but I couldn't get enough of it. I was just like, I'm, I'm getting to sit under Dr. Hill and just listen to him and, and be his friend and, and hear from him and soak from him. And then that gap. Now, the truth is, all of us, when we're younger, we have a tendency to not want to learn and not want to grow. We think we know everything, right? We all have those places in our lives. But I just remember like this this shift moment and, and watching it on that bus that day in Mardi Gras and so many, seeing so many that way and it's so much more the norm than I feel like it's ever been. I don't need to hear what you have to say about anything. I've got my own thoughts and opinions and yours don't matter. James is trying to teach this New Testament church Shut up, listen, and learn. And, and if I have a title for the message, it would probably be Wise, Humble, and Whole. And that's this next section that he's trying to teach the church to be. I want you to become wise. You need to be humble. And if you're those things, you're going to figure out what it is to be whole. So if you have your Bibles, go to James chapter 3, verse 13. True wisdom comes from God. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For, the je for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. I want to read that verse again. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Does that sound like any college campuses right now? Any? All right, moving on. <clears throat> but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy, and the fruit of good deeds 
It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is, the summation is be wise, okay? And there's a difference. If, if you don't know, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? People in college have knowledge. They have no wisdom, right? It's the reason, you know, they party and they're like, why did I, why did I stay up till 5 a.m. and get super wasted? Because you know alcohol is bad and will destroy your life, but you don't apply that knowledge. <laughs> wisdom is the ability to carry that knowledge out. Here's another example. <clears throat> knowledge is my wife looking on Pinterest at a house project and saying, hey, that should be quick and easy. Couldn't you do that for me? Wisdom is knowing how long that's actually going to take, how many trips I'm actually going to be making to the hardware store, and how much swearing I'll have to do. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't have to. It's just... Anyway, um, I'm kidding. I don't. I don't. I don't swear like that. But sometimes, you know, you pray through things. And so... Like that, it is the difference, right? There are times, now my wife over the years, she doesn't do that too much anymore. That's more like 10 years, here and there maybe. It's not nearly as common as it used to be. Like 10 years ago, it was like, this will be easy. And I would just look at her like, you have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> you're like, you have no idea what you're saying. Um, and, and how many hours and hours something took, right? Is I mean, I can count on my hands how many projects I've taken on in my life in the home that I was like, this should be quick. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? You can like, you're always like, it's never. It's never quick. You never have everything you need. It's never, and, and you're going to the hardware store at least three times, right? And that's like, you nailed it. And, and that, that is the difference between wisdom and knowledge, right? It, it really is. It's, it's so much harder. Wisdom is harder to get, it's harder to have. It takes a lot more time. But it's also the ability to know how to do it. For example, like the first time, I have fixed my dishwasher more times than I can remember at this point in the house I'm in. Literally in the last month, at least four times. It is not because my dishwasher is bad. It is because my children are not friendly to my dishwasher, okay? <laughs> not, not all my children, okay? My older kids, they get it now. It's the younger ones who are not in the room, who I can pick on because they're not here. Okay, and they put things in there like this whole watermelon can go in there, right? I don't need to clear the plate or anything. Let's just put it in there. And then they're like, why don't, I don't understand why it's not working, Dad. Well, maybe the giant watermelon that's in there. <clears throat> and at this point, it takes me a few minutes to clear the clog, to fix it, and put it back together. But the first time I did it, it took me an hour plus, Right? i got to find some guy on YouTube who's had this dishwasher who was then tearing this thing apart, put it back together, and then said, well, now, how do I tell an idiot to do this? And then I'm like, that guy. I need that guy's video. I'm going to watch it. Then I'm going to watch it again. Then I'm going to do it. Then I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to watch it again, and then I'm going to do it. And now, at this point, I've got it. All right? I know how to do it. Wisdom. <laughs> and here's the worst part. I'm a slow learner. Okay, it is really good that I graduated high school on time. I won a race, like it's a miracle, right? I am just a slow learner. I, I got straight A's, before graduating high school, I got straight A's once, 
That was in the second grade. That was a phenomenal semester for me when I was seven. And never again until college, and because in college I learned the value of working hard on academia. I, I learned the difference. I began to apply wisdom in my life and humility and learning I don't need to be seen all the time, to be faithful and work hard, to, 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 not, to not push myself to the front, to, not, to, to go for real unity and not fake unity. You know, not to pretend to love somebody, but to actually love them. To look like Jesus and point to Jesus to somebody and not just talk about him. To want to be like him and not want to just be in Christian culture. And there, there really is a strong distinction there. And, and I haven't done a great job with this. Jen, go ahead and come on up. And she's just going to share a few things. Yeah, give it up for Jen. Come on. She's been working through this section of Scripture, and she's just going to share a few things that were on her heart. Go ahead, Jen. Okay, well, this is very different from a women's Bible study where there's a circle of like five of us. Um, But if we want to put the Scripture back on the screen, when you're reading through it, you can see that there's two types of wisdom here. There's godly wisdom and there's earthly wisdom. Um, But what we focused on uh, quite a bit in the first part of our Bible study was that um, the type of wisdom that God wants us to seek. Uh, We go in depth a lot. So the definition of wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. If you want to look into wisdom more, highly recommend Proverbs. Um, I've got a couple verses from there, Proverbs 8. 10 through 11 says, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all, of you may des- and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Proverbs 2, 1 through 7. It's a lengthy one, so I'm just going to say the last bit um, from the Passion Translation. It states that wisdom is a, gener- is a gift from a generous God, and every word he speaks is full of revelation and becomes a fountain of understanding within you. We can see here that seeking God's wisdom and understanding is a byproduct of fearing the Lord, which in my life has been a, like a repetitious thing, so I figured I'd share it with you guys too. <laughs> um, so when we look at the first part of uh, this section, the NIV states that wisdom comes from a state of humility. Mm-hmm. If you look it up in the ESV version, they actually use the word meek. So I'm going to pretend like this is Bible study right now. So I need you to shout out your answer. What do you hear, or what do you think of when you hear the word meek? Shh, don't give it away, Angela. (laughs) Um, So we think uh, often, we think quiet, timid, small. Um, I was thinking about this, and there's a... portion of Mil- Mat- in Matilda where her dad goes, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm big, you're small, and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. That's how her dad thought about her. And at the time, that's how the Greeks thought about the word meek. But Jesus shifts this meaning. He changes it so that meek is to have strength under control. It's a humble strength, Angela, <laughs> and a strength that comes from trusting God, and by doing so, you can be set free from anxious self-promotion. Matthew 11:29 states, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
therefore I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Our goal, our goal is always to become more like Jesus. Mm. He said it is right to be humble. He said it right there, to, to be humble and take rest, aka no need for anxiety. So why is humility and meekness so important when it comes to wisdom? Practically, you, you catch more flies with sugar than a stick, right? Um, oh, I missed my place. Uh, so when we, er, when we ask wisdom and hard, uh, we, we usually ask for wisdom from God in tricky situations, right? Uh, the first section of James 3, what we, Brian preached on last week, talks about taming the tongue and basically stop being nasty to one another. Um, so you know these people are having issues, just like we do. Um, so how can we do that? Well, we've got to talk to each other, um, but how? Uh, like Ted Gary said a couple weeks ago, when you're bringing up a hard conversation with somebody, imagine how you would want somebody to bring that up to your daughter. I don't have children, but I'm a daughter, and I am very sensitive. <laughs> So be nice. <laughs> um, and we're all imperfect humans. So if we're having a hard time remembering how to be nice, we can look up Galatians 5.22. Who knows it? The, spirit of, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Mm. So now that we have the definition of wisdom and the place that God wants us to be at, we can continue to the two types that are stated there that Brian already talked about, earthly and godly. Um, I like the Passion Translation um, for the part about earthly wisdom. It says, but if there is bitter jealousy or competition hiding in your heart, then don't deny it and try to compensate for it by boasting and being phony. Mm -hmm. For that has nothing to do with God's heavenly wisdom, but can be best be described as the wisdom of the world both selfish and devilish. Mm. So whatever jealousy and selfishness are uncovered, you will also find many troubles in every kind of meanness. God's version, version is, op, op, ooh, words are hard sometimes, the opposite. <laughs> um, the ESV version states, but wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, mm. impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Uh, the NIV version actually uses the word peacemakers, which is the last point I'll talk about, and then I'll give back to Brian. Um, but we're called to be peacemakers and not peacekeepers. Being a peacekeeper is like slapping a Band-Aid on a cut that needs stitches. Uh, it's the renter's version of freshly painted apartment. For those who rent, they know. <laughs> it's not nice. <laughs> um, but to be a peacemaker means that we have to work through things to achieve peace. Mm -hmm. It may feel intimidating and too difficult to bear, but if we rely on God, handle it with meekness, and pursue, pursue the truth, the outcome brings true peace, and that's so worth it. And I'm gonna quote Brian. You put it on Facebook, so it's, so it's free for me to use. Um, Hard truth is more loving than soft lies. And I think that pretty much sums it up for me. <laughs> Thank you, Jen, that was good. Give it up. Yeah, so wisdom, if you want it, like, has anybody ever said to you, man, you're wise? That's not something we hear people say anymore, is it? 
And I rarely hear people saying, I would really like to be wise. I remember being younger in my 20s thinking, I want that. Well, it starts with a posture of saying, I want to be taught. I want to learn. I want to grow. We live in a time that despises correction with a vengeance. People aren't wrong on anything ever. And if you tell them, you've assaulted them. (laughs) If you tell them, you're toxic. If you say you're wrong on something, you're an authoritarian, fill in the blank. When it's simple stuff like, well, actually, you should use salt and not sugar. How dare you tell me how to live my life? You know, like, you're making turkey, not a cake. You know, like, it's, and, and yet, they can't hear it. And that's the day we live in. And yet, James dealt with it too. The New Testament church also dealt with, hey, this is a problem. Position and posture yourself in a, say, in a place to ask more questions than offer more answers. Sit and listen. So we hear our governance in our local church. One of the reasons we chose to be in the Assemblies of God Church is I believed in the governance structure. Overall, it was strong. It's not perfect, but it's strong. And one of the reasons is we have elders. We call it a leadership council, but they're, but they're elders. If I want to do something, and they're like, that's a bad idea. I don't do that thing. <laughs> right? That, that, that's what it is. But they all have spouses that also speak into their lives. And we also have the heartbeat of the church telling us yes, yes and no. Recently, I'll, I'll tell you, um, without getting into a lot of detail, there was a building that we are looking at that... The truth is, we could have gotten in there. We could have made the deal work. We had a deal worker made, trying to make it, and, and they even said, we can make, there's a deal that could be made here. But as I talked to Cliff, who heads the building committee, as I talked to the elders, talked to different people, nobody was excited, not one person. It was all, we can make it work. That is not what you want to hear when you're looking at about a million dollar commitment. (laughs) It feels like you're going to the altar with somebody who's kind of ugly and you're not really attracted to. (laughs) But you're like, hey, we can make it work. (laughs) Like that is not the conversation you want. So you know what you do? You back out. (laughs) Say, God has somebody for you. (laughs) And it's not me. Right? That's what you do. Wisdom. <laughs> no, I did not apply genders in that phrase at all. Right? If there was anybody, in that, that would have been my wife. But I was better looking then. Anyway, um, but he lays out. So, so you want to know what the posture of teachability and wisdom looks like. It's, it's right there. It's peace. Not a, not a peace. M- not a peacekeeper. A peacemaker. A peacemaker is not afraid of conflict. It is also not excited about conflict. It is able to walk through it. Quick side note. Conflict is the price you pay for intimacy and closeness. Say, I like Thrive. It seems like a pretty good church. Wait till you get to conflict. 
and then work through it, and then decide. Because that's when you know if God's called you somewhere. God's always calling you to work through conflict. All right, moving on. Um, Gentle. So I say this often. Gentle. Do we deliver things with a handshake? Do we take the mail and say, I'm going to handshake somebody with this mail, or I'm going to tape it to a brick and chuck it? Wisdom doesn't deliver things like, you're going to hear me. My voice will be heard. That's not wisdom. There's no wisdom in that. I'm trying. And uh, (laughs) willing to yield to others. Willing to say, you know what? If if you think it's better, I defer to you. you. You may not know this. I'm this way a lot. You ask anybody who's on any kind of leadership team or staff, I will say, what do you think? It's not abdication. It's the willingness to yield to others. Because whenever we get together as a staff or as a team or as a dream team or whatever, I'm not the smartest person in the room. Just because I'm at the steering wheel doesn't mean I'm the best driver. Right? We go to the team. And I could. There are leaders like that. There are pastors like that. That are just dictators. Which is funny. It's like, why did you sign up for this job? I don't get it. Because we're a team. It's about God's people. At the end of the day, I hope this outlasts me. Not soon. But, right? We yield to one another's. We, We yield to serve. And we're even willing to serve in the unseen. If you're not ever willing to stack a chair, help set up or tear down... I'm not judging you, but the Lord is. And look, if this is your first week, chill out. Don't got to stack anything, okay? <laughs> Come back next week, maybe. All right, full of mercy and good deeds. That, that's a tough one for me, full of mercy. Full of mercy and good deeds. Man, they're just so kind. They just do so many things for other people. They're just so compassionate and merciful. Has anybody here been accused of being just too merciful with others too much in your life? If so, you should probably lead a circle because we need more of it. No, we're, we're living in the time of cancel culture where you tear down everybody for saying anything that you think might have been said wrong, maybe. The well actually crowd, <laughs> you know? Post a quote, well, actually, those are the best people on social media, aren't they? What about this? What are the whataboutists? It's a new religion, and they're the worst. <laughs> okay? But that's not mercy. There's no mercy in that. And good deeds, those go hand in hand, full of mercy and good deeds. The one who's compassionate for others is the one who's willing to serve others. It's the proud that don't have to serve. Years ago, we, we had a young man in, in our master's commission program. Jen will know what I'm talking about. We are just talking about him this morning. Struggled with serving. Grew, he grew over the years. But man, we would go into a church, and, and we would perform and do a bunch of things for him. Dramas and worship band and, and, and stomp and spoken word. And, and, and it was fun. But then after, we would teach him, like, but we help clean up. We tear it down. We load the trailer. I've been doing this a long time. And uh, all of this stuff. But there was one of the guys, like, he just struggled with that so much. Like, he just wanted to talk to all the people. 
Say, oh, that was good. Sometimes it was just to get out of the work, you know. We've got to overcome our pride that says, I, I, I'm above that. I'm beyond that. That's not, that's not what wisdom looks like. And don't ever, if they're not willing to serve, you shouldn't be willing to listen. All right, moving on. Shows no favoritism. That's pretty self-explanatory, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, so I've got to keep moving. Always sincere. Not a fake. Somebody says they love you. Hopefully they mean it. You know, not that televangelist, I love you, like, I just love you, brother. God bless you. What's your name again? And you met him like 12 times. Like, that's not, since, that's not, there's no wisdom, there's no humility there. And he goes on to say in verse, in chapter 4, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous from what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure, you adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now, quick side note, right there. When we are not on God's team, we are unintentionally an enemy of God. And notice what it said there. God didn't make us his enemies. We made ourselves his enemies. When we reject him and his plan for our life and his son. When we say, I'll think about it. I'll keep it at a distance. I don't, you know, I don't want. You're an enemy of God. Not, a t not the side of the team you want to be on. All right, moving on. Do you think scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that, he, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. The key word here, humble. Because it's who God is. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the omniscient, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah, the alpha and the omega. He holds the world and the, and the universe in the palm of his hands, and he humbles himself to die for us. He becomes nothing for you and me. Wretches, rejecters of his grace and his goodness, mockers of his kindness, we live that way by default, and he serves us anyway. He becomes nothing. We have this phrase like, well, you're not supposed to be a doormat. I think Jesus would have preferred doormat somewhere in hour three of the crucifixion. But we're all just too humble, too prideful to realize how lack of humble we are. 
Scott Hinkle used to say, if you want to be used by God, you will be used by people. But the humble don't care. Because the humble are inoffendable. The humble can't, the servants can't be offended because they're just here to serve. They're not looking for opportunity and position. They're just looking to wash somebody else's feet. 1 Timothy 6.10 Humility is the character of God because pride is the character of the enemy, the devil. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people craving money have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Listen to that. It doesn't say money. The love of money. And what's the love of money? The desire, the craving, and the need for power and influence and greed. That's called pride. Jesus in Luke 10 said, when the 72 disciples returned, they rejoiced. They came back casting out demons and seeing people healed. And they said, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And he said, yes, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice when evil spirits obey you. You rejoice because your name are registered in heaven. We don't rejoice in our titles, in our positions, in, what our, in our gifts, in our abilities, in our looks, in our stature, in our place. And we rejoice that Jesus knows my name. And I get to know his. And I don't need anything else. That's the place of humility and teachability and wisdom. Jesus knows me and he approves. And I don't deserve that at all. So I'm good with everything else. If Jesus called me by name, what else do I need? These jealousy and evil desires. He basically breaks it down. He's like, think about when you have a fight with someone. And there's a difference between a disagreement or a debate and a fight, okay? Why do we fight with somebody? Well, we're hurt. Why? Why are we hurt? Almost invariably, it's because of the fact that we had an expectation of something they should do that they either weren't aware of or could not live up to, which is an evil desire and projecting onto them something they may not be able to live up to. Sometimes we're expecting somebody else to be who only Jesus can be to us. I'm not saying you can't be hurt by people. Of course we can. We're human. It's just gonna happen. But every single time we're hurt, pretty much every time, we can look inside and figure out somewhere where there was a bit of selfishness in that somehow. Because there is nowhere in eternity now that God has hurt over me and the things I've done to him. Because he forgave me and he said, as far as the east is from the west, it's done. So if I want to be like him, I can't stay there. You're going to get hurt. You just can't live in it. And we have to confront 
whatever we can. Say, my spouse cheated on me. I, I did my best. It's, right, but I encourage even those people to say, but still, you can't fix them. You can only examine you. So what could you have done? It doesn't mean you take ownership of the blame. You take ownership of our sin. Am I making sense? Angry. Why do we get angry? At least for me, most of my anger is because I just couldn't control it. And that's a sinful desire because I'm not in control. And keep continuing to keep wanting to be is wrong. There's a holy righteous anger. I know that saying, you know, we're going to stand against genocide to say when my kids bold-faced disobedience and saying, am I angry with your choice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a rule, unrighteous anger is usually from a place of demanding a level of control that we just don't have and isn't afforded to us by God, which is actually good news. And there's a lot of believers like this. If you believe you're close to the Lord, are you in that place of humility and, and, and teachability? Here's a good question of somebody who's living the opposite of this life in the church world. Okay, if you're like, well, I don't go to church very often. This doesn't apply to you. Don't even worry about it. Okay? But in the church world, are they somebody who bounces churches every two to five years? They're probably not that teachable. Do they criticize easily and regularly? Somebody who regularly critiques something is somebody who's regularly not learning something. Do they always have the upper spiritual hand or perspective? Again, it's not a posture of humility. Because you can be right and still be wrong. A posture of humility doesn't have to demand its rightness. Do they regularly create an us versus them narrative? I'd encourage you, stop listening to those people. They're hurting you far more than you think they are. And lastly, he gets to this place where he says, and I want you to be whole. And how do you become whole? He lays it out. Shed tears. Repent. Break your heart before the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. I've made other stuff way too important. I've made the way I feel more important than the unity of your church or my marriage or my friendship. I've made, I've made my thought life and the things I've been thinking about myself so much I stopped thinking about other people. We quit on Jesus. I actually heard Jimmy Needham say it this way. We just refuse to be satisfied in Jesus. He's not enough. I believe there's more. There's more opportunities for me. There's more, there's better friendships. There's newer, there's newer fun things that I should have and want. And, and we leave gradually without knowing us this place of wisdom and humility and being whole into settling for part of the picture because we want it now and we think it can somehow be better than what we already have completely in Jesus. 
you want a different marriage, let me tell you, the grass is greener on the other side because it's nuclear waste. If you want different kids, God authored their life. He doesn't want you to have, and he, he ordained you as their parents. If you want a different story, everybody has something in their story they don't want. But instead of saying, I reject, my, I hate my story, I hate where I've been, I hate what I've been through, bring it back to the Lord who authored your life and brought you this far and say, you know what, Lord? I've been so prideful. This is your story. It's not even mine. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. Oh